Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. I actually watched two episodes today to get kind of caught up. And um, I, you know, Rabbi Schatz and I were talking a little bit earlier about how there may not be quite as many halachic issues to discuss in episode nine. But, you know, Judaism is not only about halacha, it's about, you know, if you will, Musar, it's about the, the morality and the ethics and how we treat other people, how we approach other people and, and even judging them. And, you know, one of the issues that I found really interesting that really connected between eight and nine is my cat is walking in. So very, my very talkative cat, Shubi. I can't pick up because otherwise, right? No. So if you hear me owing, that's that should be right here. Okay. But um, I related to it very much, though, was as, as a reform rabbi, is this idea of life without limits, the secular life. And some of you might remember the speaker who came in to talk to the girls' yeshiva, and she was talking about her life, and it was all, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, and just partying, and, you know, and all these things. And, and you know, Hodaya's like, listening to this, and she interrupted, and she's like, well, wasn't there anything positive about the secular life? And it was just kind of like the secular life, you, you could do anything you want. And I know, as a reform rabbi, I am constantly and it really as recently as um the night before i left which i believe would be monday night um having this discussion on a moshav named tal shachar near latrun um with someone and in israel reform judaism or yahadut mitkademet is really to many people presented as basically christianity um you know, they're, they're not Jews at all. And many American Jews, Reform Judaism is basically, well, you don't have to do anything. Or you can do whatever you want. There are no limits. And I think one of the questions that I wanted to bring up with you, and we can deal with this from a religious perspective and as well as other perspectives, is can there be value? Can we admit that there is value in philosophies which are not ours? But do we have to present them as being totally wrong and, and almost evil and with no redeeming social value? Um, or can we say, you know, it's, it's got certain things going for it, you know, but it doesn't happen to be where I fit. So I wanted to see for you, and I'm sure that everybody has had their own religious experiences and people mischaracterizing what you believe, whether it's politically or religiously, uh, or in, in some other way, and um, you know, talk about what the the limit or what the value, if you will, of limits might be. And I guess we'll start with Norm. I certainly think limits have value. Something that dawned on me when you mentioned that that scene, which I had paid close attention to, is that in my experience, um, Christian evangelists frequently paint in, incredibly depraved stories about their earlier life before they were born again. And I've experienced this from evangelists on a person, on a one-to-one -one sort of basis. Many times, although I have to admit, most of that was when I was in college because <coughs> I just don't see them anymore. But with respect to finding value in philosophies other than my own. I find great value in many philosophies of my, other than mine, not all of them. By the way, if you're looking for the evangelists, Josh has another story about his uh, discussion with the evangelist in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. So that's a, another one to add. <laughs> you know, they, these things, it's, he's like a magnet. These things just, <laughs> they all come upon. So, yeah. but, but you're right. Um, in many ways, I was I was a lost soul, and I was into you know all these terrible things, and then I found Jesus, and all of a sudden, right, everything was changed. Well, and interestingly, just because you know this is going to also 
connect us to this week's, uh, I was about to say this week's Parsha, this week's episode, um, that, that there's also a, a sense of if you were religious, needing to remain religious or at least needing to come across as knowing about your religiosity and not straying from that path to now become secular. But to the point of we can we can see the beauty in both directions, right? Knowing that from last week's episode that it's being painted as one good, one bad, that there's actually real value in both sides. It's just a matter of what what you are taking on as your identity and the topic that you and I so much discussed, which is this idea of no one's really being honest with who they are. Everyone's trying to be a little bit of something else. And so how does that play to the stereotype of secular or uh, in terms of like spectrum of Judaism, like less observant being that which you don't want to be or seen as quote negative, um, as opposed to if you're following all the rules and you have more of those limits. I'm going to trust that that was Rebecca's hand, unless Len, Leonard is a as a ventrilo. Is there a word for a ventriloquist? Somebody can throw their hand. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, somebody was saying that uh, I saw something and. Somebody was making a joke, right, that ventriloquists now, their act is so much easier, you know, because they can wear the mask. And <laughs> Ah, yes. So true. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking in terms of like acceptance, acceptance of different, uh, let's call it denominations that um, interestingly, uh, and maybe this is a, I mean, I, I've, I, I, I've seen it several times personally, but it also kind of seems maybe like a stereotype that, a Baal Tshuva, which is what we're saying, you know, the speaker um, is a Baal Tshuva sometimes is more um, critical of uh, other other Jews who aren't Baal Tshuva or who aren't uh, uh, as frum as they uh, as they are. You know, I, I think about my cousin who married a Baal Tshuva woman and that ended up, you know, she had certain notions of how to do things. And so he, who was modern Orthodox, ended up being um, more stringent on certain things. Or I think about um, uh, being at a dinner party with some some parents and, you know, two, two Balchuva women realizing meeting for the first time, some new parents and, oh, they're both Balchuva. And then that gave them a bond. And then they right away, you know, seem to kind of pick at some other people, whatever. Anyway, so it's, it's kind of interesting that somebody who you'd think who had experienced uh, before they became religious and, and who might relate more to people from various groups, they, they kind of might be a little more critical. Yeah. I mean, I think we see that just in our own, I mean, people who I've known who have grown up a certain way, but then become more religious or less, right? They they end up become, being more critical based on the kind of journey they went through uh, to saying, oh, well, that's not real Judaism or that's too strict or you don't need to do that. And it's like, well, just, just because you've changed doesn't mean that now you you know something that I don't know. You're, you just are practicing in a different way. So I do think that we see it even within our own um, our own Judaisms, right? You see it within us, the same denomination in terms of how people are practicing and judging others' practices. And of course, we we would hope that people could just be Jewish, right? I but when I was a rabbi in Northern California, one of the things that we would often be asked because in Northern California, denominations well, maybe a little bit similar to Israel. You're you're either like pretty observant or you're not observant at all in most locations in in northern california and so we were often asked you know what denomination of shul are you and we have conservative rabbis but the the people who went to the shul probably if you had to put them into a box would probably be seen as more observantly reformed jews and so rabbi Corey helfand and i used to often say we're jewish That's our denomination, right? We're a shul. We're a Jewish shul. And I think that that is often um, seen as as not an adequate enough answer because you need to fit yourself into a box. But as you're saying, Rebecca, there's even when we put ourselves in those boxes, there's judgments that come with with 
the way that we've defined ourselves based on previous experience or based on the, the, the company that we're in. Well, before I call on Michael, who had his hand up, I just want to respond to that with, you know, I remember when Jimmy Carter was running for president, right? Some of you will remember that. Um, and he was criticized for being so fuzzy and really not taking any position. But as we all know, once you take a position, you establish a position, it's much easier to criticize the person. So if you're kind of vague, then, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's harder to hit kind of a, a moving target. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so, so just Karen is, is asking online in terms of what we're talking about, um, life without uh, limits, this really had to do with the whole question of uh, the, the, the girls really in the yeshiva and kind of with the secular life, you know, that they were being taught was, was totally evil. And of course, now, once they're taught that it's totally evil, they want to hear all about, you know, well, where did you work? Did you ever go to a pub? Do you have a boyfriend? Did you do this and that? So um, that's kind of where we got into it. Okay, anyhow, Michael. When we were talking about lack of tolerance for someone at the opposite end of the observance spectrum, I just wanted to relay a story, a brief story. Last Friday night, Friday afternoon, uh, the rabbi at my synagogue in Montreal, which is a, a modern, granted a liberal modern Orthodox synagogue, but a modern Orthodox synagogue, spoke about what happened at the Kotel on Tubishvat, on, on Tishvat, rather, where there was, sorry, on Tishvat, uh, with respect to the uh, modern Orthodox, who were not Haredim, which is what really made the rabbi upset group that broke into the now much smaller egalitarian section and forced a um, a division between the two of them, a mechitza between the two, there's the word I wanted, and she was furious. And this is our modern Orthodox rabba, our Maharat Academy rabba, who's very definitely Orthodox and very definitely has definite opinions about and she said there were real divisions and philosophical differences, Reform, Orthodox, and Conservative. But she said that notwithstanding, for one group of Jews to go after another group of Jews in such a negative way, and especially on Tisha B'Av, she was just disgusted. So I, I leave that as a comment in terms of tolerance. Well, right. And, and, you know, obviously a lot of us know that the saying that the temple was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, the baseless hatred of Jew, one Jew against another. But, you know, one, so this really brings up a lot of different issues about our differences. Um, it's not only the idea of life secular versus religious, but, you know, here we're, we're seeing Gifat's brother who is kind of living a double life. And he's secular 51 weeks a year. And the one week he comes to Israel so that, you know, his family, that he doesn't have to get any grief from his family. You know, he becomes Dati, you know, in, you know, to them. But, you know, it also brings up a topic that all of us are very familiar with. And that has to do with differences in, we could call it intra-faith relationships as well as inter-faith relationships. You know, can an Orthodox Jew marry a Reformed Jew? Or can a conservative Jew, you know, how could that work? Can a Jew marry a non-Jew and have it work out? You know, as I think it was Yafat who had said, and it was quoted a few times in the episode in, in episode nine, you know, for a religious boy and a non-religious girl, it would never work out. And yet, I know, I know stories of people where, you know, something like that has worked out. Um, and we all know that sometimes you have people from very different backgrounds who do, do work out better. So, you know, it's another question. Is it better to be, to have two similar halves or two similar pieces in the, in a couple, or might it work out better to have people who are more opposites? And I'm, not, and I'm not talking, I, I don't want to ask you about, should we, I, I'm not saying, yes, we should encourage interfaith marriage. That's not what I am saying. But 
going back to where we started, can we at least admit that every interfaith relationship is not, you know, evil and sinful and destructive to the Jewish people and a shanda and a da 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 you know, it's, you know, is, is there something in between that and the opposite? Well, and, and then to add to that, in terms of what we're seeing in, in this experience with the brother, whose name I keep forgetting, Elisha, no. Mm. Eli, yeah. Elisha, Elisha. Elisha. Okay, Elisha, we're going to go with that. Um, that, that, he, that he is also going back to the initial comment, right, about, about last week's episode, which we talked all about in last week's class, right, of this idea of secular bad religious good that he's playing into that and and that Yifat is making that known as like a family standard, right? That if, you, if you're a religious person, which she is, which she thinks her brother is, which her family is, then you have to marry within, it, according to her, you have to marry within the confines of the religious society. So that's not just don't marry someone who's not Jewish, right? But that's marry someone who's Jewish just like you. Um, and so I just wanted to add that one of the things I have one sibling who's married, um, and I have a lot of other siblings. And one of the things that my grandparents say to us all the time is that they want us to marry Jewish people, but they want us to marry based on values because ultimately you marry the family. You don't just marry the person. Um, and that the fact that, that Ifat is worried that if they were to be, they've known each other for like 35 minutes and we're already talking about marriage, but, but okay. But the fact that she could be in, she can now be um, tangled into a web of a family that, that wouldn't necessarily hold the same values. That's where she sees conflict. Um, and, and that it's coming out through this religious, not religious banter and stereotype which is a really difficult um, stance to take when you are just talking about a Jewish person marrying another, we think at least, good, good Jewish, uh, good Jewish person. So I just wanted to add that into the mix of, to hear what people think. Um, would Leonard or Renee, just before, hold on one second, Rebecca. Renee just asked a question. If the brother already said he wasn't religious, would... Would she that to be I think so. Would she, would Yifat have objected? I, this is, a, it's a great question. I don't think um, that she would have objected if he would have said that he was secular to be with someone secular. I think that she would have object, objected to him being secular, <laughs> but I don't think that she would have objected to the shit up. Um, I think that she would recognize that if they have similar similar goals and similar right now she thinks that he wants to be a from person, right? And is and is practicing a from life, which isn't true. So she wants him to find a match that would be able to help him along that journey, uh, and knows that Hodaya wouldn't be able to. So okay, sorry, Rebecca, I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Um yeah, I was just gonna share one of the things that um that then when we were going to get married, and I think they still have it, that the uh, AJU, uh, American Jewish University, offers a making marriage work. Yeah. Um, several weeks, six weeks, I forget, whatever, for couples um, before they get married. And as part of that course, besides lectures and things, there's a survey that you each take separately. Yeah. And then you meet with a marriage and family counselor who, um, who reviews it with you. And besides asking questions about, um, you know, how you feel about money and family and all kinds of things, there's also the religious, uh, yeah. the religious part. So interestingly, she said to us, I've never had a couple so closely aligned <laughs> with the religious thing as, as Leonard and I, as our answers were, I think it was uh, perhaps more about practices than, than belief. Yeah but yeah. I really, I really don't recall, but mm -hmm. she said that, yeah, that is something that often, and it's good that they get it out that they see. And it's part of the discussion yeah. with the counselor. And she, she starts them on a journey of talking about 
um, religion and observances, uh, uh, along with other things like money, etc. So sure. it's interesting that she says, yeah, often people are, um, are different. So that's something that you have to deal with when you're going to um, marry somebody. Most people are different because you grow up in, you know, to at least the people who tended to come to this class, I guess, grow up yeah. differently. So. Yeah, a lot of the couples, and I'm sure that um, Rod Parnick has similar stories. A lot of the couples that I work with did not grow up in the same kind of J- Jewish household. Maybe they didn't even grow up in a Jewish household. <laughs> um, they definitely didn't grow up in the same exact way Jewishly. And one of the things that I actually find most intriguing about a couple is when they're teaching each other what it means to build a Jewish home. And I think as long as your values and your interests and your love for each other's family and all those things are aligned. Like who cares if you wash your hands before you eat bread and I don't yet, right? Like maybe those things are you rip toilet paper on Shabbat and I don't, right? Those things you can work out. Those don't make or break a relationship, but, but to be able to then create Judaism together, sometimes that's even more more interesting whereas you and Leonard got to build upon that which you already had in common and make that even stronger so there was no kind of starting point you just got to blossom from there so I think as the person pointed out to you I think that's very unique and a, and a blessing obviously in many ways and to go back to what's happening in the episode like what a beautiful way for maybe him to come back to some of his Judaism that he might have missed out on because all of a sudden secular life looks more intriguing or whatever. Um, anyway, I, I could give like many lectures on this, but, I, <laughs> but I'll stop there. Yeah, Denise. I thought she might have had an inkling that he may not be religious because when they were in the kitchen, she starts crying to Horaya. Yeah. And, and she talks about how she, he's never been at the Seder. Yes, yes. Um, and that seemed like significant, you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, like, what is he doing for Lil Seder in San Francisco? And like, you know, and that in yeah. seven years, he never thought to come back. And then she said she's never seen his arms. He always comes in winter. And I thought, I wonder if she suspects he has tattoos or something. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's possible. I think you're right. I think she does have an inkling. And I think that the the fact that she that he shows up not around holiday times at all, like Pesach, you know, obviously being a longer and more restrictive holiday shows to her that she that there's starting to be some kind of distance. Um, and she suspects, it seems that something is going on and that Hodaya could potentially take him even further. I don't think she suspects that he's completely off the derech, but I think that she suspects that he's moving in that direction and Hodaya would kind of be the straw that broke the camel's back. I agree. And I think that this relationship is the perfect reason that Reform and Conservative Judaism really have such, there's such a need for them in Israel, because most Israelis, I believe, don't want to be totally secular, and they don't want to be totally religious. They want to be able to have a certain amount of religiosity in their life, but they're not necessarily looking for the extremes, but that has not been presented to them for the most part as, as an option, Um, which I I also just want to say one other thing, which um, is that just this month, one of the most, uh, (laughs) I hope nobody here is connected with it, but one of the most boring places that people used to visit on tours to Israel has been totally and completely transformed and that was Beit HaTfutzot, the Diaspora Museum at Tel Aviv University, which was around for a long time and it was, um, <laughs> okay. um, you know, so we went and the first thing we see is 21 life-size digital panels of people telling their story and including Bill Hess, whom some of you know, and Rabbi Schatz, who was the rabbi in L.A. who was on there? Rabbi Sharon Browse. Right. So her story is up there. She's telling her story. 
And it's about all their different ways to be Jewish. And they're not talking about reform, conservative and Orthodox. And it was the, the whole place. Uh, I told Rabbi Schatz before the, the guy told us, you know, the old museum was, oi, you know, we're Jews. Oi, look at what we've gone through. This is hallelujah. Literally, they have this whole thing about Leonard Cohen. I mean, it's just like the joy of being Jewish from Seinfeld to entertainment to the arts to you you actually literally prepare recipes. You you have to chop things. You have to put them in the pan. You, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a fabulous, fabulous place. So the old day that's put so, you know, which I used to tell people don't go. It's Unless you really are, are really challenged for, you know, something to do. This place is, is great. But, Unless but, it's raining. Yes. And then you need a place to go. Right. Very good air conditioning, too. But the idea is that there are so many different ways to be Jewish, and we tend to say there's one. Or a lot of Jews tend to say there's one. And that's not true. And we know that's not true, and it's never been true. So um, I think the diversity makes us stronger, just like anybody here familiar with the JNF forests and how they plant them? Do we have any? You know, when I was like, I think in a high school, and we had to take this vocational test, and you fill out all these things, and I think I got the highest score for being a forest ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Never understood that. But, you know, when they plant the forests, and then we'll go to Norm, um, they don't just plant one type of tree, because that, if there's a disease, it wipes out the whole thing. So mm-hmm. there's diversity in the forests that they plant to strengthen the forest. Norm. Wow, I did not know that. I love that. Is, is it done anything like what was in the movie? Kunilemo, I think was called. Oh, Kunilemo. Um, wow. You and I would remember, but most of the people might not. I saw a Kuni Lemel movie in Israel. It had to be 1972. And I honestly confess, I don't remember too much about it. They, they had this guy who was working for the JNF. And American no, no, you're thinking up in of, a limousine, no. and they would see the sign identifying the forest, That's and they would photographs and drive off. He would pull out the sign and put in a new sign, and the next couple would come with their driver and yeah. they would get the picture. It was very, very funny. That was actually one of the first Israeli movies, and I think that was Topol, if I'm right, but it was called Salah Shabati. Yeah. Or Salah. Yeah, I think you're right. I had the and, wrong yeah, name. Exactly. You know, for, you know, this plant, you know, the green family forest, they take the sign yeah. and the picture and then they leave in their car and they take out the sign and get it ready for the next family. Great scene, which was very, you know, critical of Israeli society. But, but, but at the point, though, is really important. You know, just I don't, there's a holiday. I'm going to leave it to you. You tell me, what's the holiday where we our, our ritual symbols talk about the diversity of Jews and how when we're together, we're stronger. Uh, Sukkos. Exactly. The different elements of the lulav. Exactly. Lem and or Rebecca, can we just call you like Lekka or Rebecca, 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 I don't know. Rebecca is a hard name to do that with. I, yeah. I speak from, from experience. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, well, uh, I got to get my two cents worth in here. One story <laughs> I heard about the JNF forest, because, you know, people go and they plant trees, is that the, the volunteers okay. who go and do that uh, don't do a very good job on average. So after the people leave, then they have the workers come in and do it right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or, yes. Or, they, or they move them to some other place. <laughs> yeah. I have heard those stories. Yes. Uh, I wanted to say that I think that's one of the beauties of Chabad. Chabad mm-hmm. welcomes everybody and knows that you do not observe yes. as they observe, that you can drive to their home for a Shabbat dinner and that some pe- women wear pants and so on, and they never criticize, and they're very open and accepting. And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes them so attractive. Yeah. I, you've all heard me talk about this quite a bit, um, because typically the Rabbi Parnik that we have is, uh, is of the Josh variety. But when we were in rabbinical school and we did, um, we did this fellowship through APAC, one of the best parts of that fellowship was the fact that 
we were in Israel with rabbinical students from all the different denominations. And that meant, I mean, I don't think that I would teach this class with just a random modern Orthodox rabbi, but the fact that I, that I know Josh and I know the values that he lives by and holds by and teaches by, right? It makes it an easier, um, an, an easier partnership to be able to teach with someone who has a different denomination, but still comes from, from a similar background of, of whatever is going to be taught. I'm not going to be, you know, blown out of the water um, in thinking, how, how can you say something like that about the Judaism that I practice? And being on a bus with people going through different places in Israel, some of which are quite contentious depending on who you are and what your Judaism is, that was a really eye-opening experience because, again, we are all one Judaism, but I love that tree analogy. If we all get to speak our Judaism and share our values and share what's what's powerful and meaningful to us, not only do we get to share it and kind of air it out to the world, but the other people listening get to learn from it and strengthen their own Judaism. Um, and I think that's such a such a gift that I was given by being part of this fellowship. And I think um, Rabbi Pernick would would say similarly that there's just there there was nothing like that as an opportunity while we were in school. Um, to be able to have access to Torah and learning and davening. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget we were, I don't know, in the middle of somewhere. And the men on the bus wanted to make sure that they got to daven mincha. And all the men, including the rabbinical students from the reform schools and the conservative schools, got off the bus. And all the women stayed on the bus. Now, I daven with men all the time. <laughs> so all the women started talking about why are why are we getting off the bus? Why aren't we also davening? But when you're in when you're in a situation where you're not going to count towards that minion and you're going to have to stand on the other side of, you know, the boulder so that you're not interfering with their davening, it's easier to just stay on the bus and not do any of the davening and you start to kind of uh take on things that aren't necessarily your Jewish identity because you are experiencing other people's and for better and for worse. And that ends up helping you also solidify what's important to you. And in relationships, that happens also. So I think this relationship would be a great one because they would both have to kind of push and pull and figure out what their Judaism really is. Any other uh, other thoughts on this or on that relationship itself, how it's Again, going from they don't know each other to all of a sudden they're, you know, married with four children. Yeah, Michael. I just wanted to add that unlike in perhaps some other instances that we've observed, I don't uh, give any negative uh, comments to Yifat. She certainly thought she was doing the right thing. And I think she had only positive thoughts. And I don't think there was any... And all of our characters over the year have certainly engaged in manipulative activity. But I didn't really see this as being manipulative. She was very honest to all parties concerned straight out, I thought. Right, Parnick, do you want to say anything to that? <laughs> I'm having a lot of difficulty with her. You know, I, I, I just, I, you know, at the beginning, I didn't like Hodeya that much. Now I'm liking her more. But, you know, with Yafat, it's like she doesn't, there, we know people, I've known a few, who just, they're not happy being happy. You know, they're, they're, they're only happy when they have things that they can complain about. And, you know, you get what you want, and now she's just, she's always got this, like, sourpuss, you know, on her face. So um, I don't want to comment too much on her right now, but, uh, but yeah, she, she's not at the top of my list right now. And, and also for, you know, being very manipulative in terms of her husband and his job and, and this and, that. and it's like, you know, she's basically got to get her husband fired or, you know, for her sake, not for, he's, I think he's actually very happy with what he's doing. He, he's not just getting croissants and coffee. He really is kind of keeping that office together. And I think he feels very needed. And so what ends up happening is she ends up getting him into this kolel. Have any of you ever studied that learned in a kolel? 
I have. I actually started a coal ale. I was the first student back when, yeah, in wow. Southfield, Michigan. And, um, but, you know, so here he's going from a place where he feels valued and, and needed. And he gets, you know, as his chavruta, as his study partner, this really, <laughs> again, let's, let's call him an, a, a not very likable partner who seems very bored, very judgmental. Um, he knows more. Hi. <laughs> who do we have there? This is Rafi. Oh, that's Rafi. Hi, Rafi. <laughs> but, you know, one, one of the questions that, uh, you know, came up actually today, one of the reform rabbis was, you know, what do you do about people who are just so difficult in your life and in your congregation? Like, can you fire a temple member? You know, can you get, um, I mean, it's literally a question that, that somebody asked, you know, can you just tell somebody they're not allowed to, to join? We don't want you this year. Um, but, you know, here's somebody who really seems to be bringing down everyone around him. And despite the best efforts, he's, and he's young, but, uh, you know, how do we deal with this? And Amir really tried, but now I think, you know, he's kind of miserable because he's like, you know, He's trying to do a nice thing with this kid. And finally, it's like, you know, like, if you're not happy here, you can just leave. It's, you know, it's okay. Well, and I, and then Leonard or Rebecca, um, I, I also, and I mentioned this to Ryan Pernick earlier today, but I also think that he's, he is a very good character to add to the plot line of people hiding their true identities, right? Because at the end of the episode, we see him go to this lavish home. And one of the main things that he says to Amir is, I'm tired of going to lavish Shabbat dinners. So is he trying to figure out his own Jewish identity and understand how you can do Judaism maybe a little bit more informally or not with a, you know, four course Shabbat dinner, but maybe like, you know, in your pajamas around the table with some friends, which is how I always think Shabbat dinner should be done. Um, but that's, you know, why, why would you, why would you need such a, such a lavish experience? Why not just have a meaningful, sweet Shabbat dinner with friends, which is what he thought he was getting himself into. And then it turned into something that he was not expecting. And so you see this part of his identity kind of shifting around to try to figure out what what he's looking for and how he's going to fit in. Rebecca and Leonard. So uh, Rabbi Pernick asked if you can fire a, uh, a member of the synagogue. Uh, I know in Los Angeles of at least one case uh, where this has happened. There, there's a there's a group that I think they meet at an Orthodox synagogue. It is a group of modern Orthodox Jews, and they're called the Happy Minion. Oh yeah. And, and I have heard that they have approached at least one person and saying, "I'm sorry, you're just not happy enough for this minion." <laughs> <laughs> no way. You'd be happier elsewhere. <laughs> I, I hope that that's just really good PR and not a real story, but that's very funny. Very funny. Norm. It's me, Rachel. I wanted okay. to talk a little bit about the character of the Vruta, whose name I forgot. And you just talked a little bit about him living in this lavish home. Yeah. And how he doesn't, like like you said, he was hiding his his true identity. I actually felt real kinship to him when he's at this Shabbat dinner saying nobody's talking about anything that matters. Yeah. Nobody's talking about their feelings. Nobody's talking about things they care about. Mm-hmm. They're talking about IKEA, that is so stupid. And, of course, then the lamp hits him in the face. But I really liked that dimension of his character, that he was really interested in in meaning somehow, in, in pursuing something deeper. And it was just something about his character I liked. Well, and again, I think that that's why I said the thing about pajamas around a Shabbos table. I don't think that ha- that you need 
beautiful candlesticks and pristine clothing and the best tablecloth to create meaning around a Shabbos table. And I think that's what he was trying to find. I think he was trying to find meaning in things that that aren't on the outside or aren't what he might have read that are needed for Shabbat, but rather how do I find, how do I find that intentionality? How do I find that spirituality? How do I find that connection, that feeling on Shabbat that I've lacked with all these beautiful things that I've always had in my life, but that hasn't made Shabbat for me. That Shabbat is not created for me by this beautiful home and what I assume, though he never says this, a beautiful dinner with beautiful things, what what he's, I think, searching for is meaning in the experience and in the relationships and in the conversation, which he doesn't find at a Shabbat table either. But that's what he was hoping to find was something that was going to be deepened, not just by the stuff, but rather by the relationships and the, the conversation that was had. Uh, and I want to add about I don't understand why Amir decided to follow him to this crazy farm where he's working. It, I can see why he's disillusioned with this um, yeshiva where he's been learning, this kolil, but um, I don't see why he wants to follow him to this farm. Farm. Follow him to a Are you in the next episode? I don't remember any farm. Oh, I also don't remember farm. I must have watched an extra episode by accident. But not a farm. He goes out to the desert, right? To this place. Oh, sorry. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really spoil anything. No, you didn't spoil anything. I, I've seen the whole show and you didn't spoil it, but I think unless I'm misremembering, I think that's the next episode. I think you're right. Uh, but I, I, I did want to just tell Rabbi Schatz, of course, who, you know, remains a, a, inspiring prophet that so many Jews today are in fact celebrating Shabbat in their pajamas, uh, you know, around the table as they're watching over zoom or streaming the service. And that that is a reality. Um, But, but I think the other part with this is if it's Ariel, which Leonard Rebecca said, um, that really shows the need for the diversity because the synagogue that's right for me, where I'm going to, it's my niche, and I say, yes, but now I'm home, this is my place, that might not be the place, you know, for Karen. And the yeah. place that's right for Karen might not be right for Sue Ray. The place that's right for Sue Ray, you know, might not be right for Robert, etc. So when we, you know, look, and there's some very small Jewish communities around the country um, where there's one choice in a lot of rabbinical schools, you know, Hebrew Union College, sent me for three years to Sandusky, Ohio, home of the best amusement park in the country, Cedar Point. But there's, you know, one synagogue, there are 50 Jews, and that's it. Whether you're Reformed, Conservative, or Orthodox, that's the place. Yeah. You know, so you don't have a choice. But in a bigger community with a lot of diversity, you re- we really can, if we make the effort, find exactly, well, or, or at least pretty close, where we're going to feel the most comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But but how do we deal? I mean, I don't know how much time we have left, but just I, I really like this idea. You know, we Jews are we are a difficult people. You know, we are called an am kishe oraf, a, a stiff necked people. We are the ones who always annoy everybody because we ask questions. We don't just blindly accept everything. You know, we're very annoying people. Okay. <laughs> we are. And we take, you know, it's like New Yorkers. You know, we take pride in our ability to be annoying right um but when we have difficult people you know to amir for amir he could have just said you know get me somebody else i'll learn on my own this kid is just but instead i mean he's my favorite character i mean so far i mean i really really like him he's trying to take him in he's trying to befriend him come on have shabbos dinner and you know, I mean, that, that's what we're supposed to try to do, but um, <laughs> it's a little different Norm's comment than the, the traditional explanation of what the four kinds of Jews, but yeah, that's good. Um, but I think we need to reach out beyond our comfort zone. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But um, I think he tried to do the right thing. And, you know, I think one of the things that I like about this show 
is the reason that I like, and I suspect that a lot of people have liked Dear Abby and, and Landers over the years, is we can learn from the problems and the the situations of others right. that they confront. And, you know, we learn that from the Torah and from the characters in the Tanakh as well, right? So there are very difficult people out there. And the reality is, whether you like it or not, you got to deal with them. Well, and I think that he's also, he's about to be a dad. And I think that he's trying to figure out how to parent this kid in a certain way. Um, And at least to me, that's how it came across that he was trying to kind of mentor him and and he's such a natural teacher uh, based on obviously his past employment, but also just his, his own personality. He's also my favorite character. Um, And and how he takes this kid under his wing, but also wanting to give him these experiences. Oh, you don't want to come for Shabbos? Just come on. Uh, you know, b- just see what it's like to be in a different place. Don't be alone. I think he's trying to really nurture him, not just through Torah, but also through the Judaism that comes from experience and holidays and rituals and the pieces that he can also show him as opposed to just teach him. Um, he, I, I, I now forget what the subject was that he was teaching him that I also thought was so interesting for, um, for this episode. Does anybody remember what, what Masechet? It Talmud. They, and they made quite a point of the fact that it was not Talmud. Not much I do remember. It was Talmud, but he was going to study it. wasn't. No, it was, but he was going to study a different Masechet because because Ariel didn't enjoy what the topic was. But now I can't remember what the topic was. Um, oh, man, I should have written it down. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting because it was a topic that was clearly connected to these different kinds of Judaisms and that Ariel had <laughs> zero uh, attention for. And so they he... Uh, Amir said, well, you want to go to a different Masechet? And I was like, sure, whatever, whatever you want, kid. I'm happy, I'm happy to learn it. Um, anyway, maybe it'll come to me and I'll be able to tell you. But I thought it was an interesting topic. I'm sorry, but I thought there was something beyond a different Masechet that he was dealing with something totally outside Tamu. But maybe I misunderstood it. I guess I did. Yeah, I don't think so. So they mentioned Mesilat Yesharim. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, they weren't learning Mesilat Yesharim, at least from what I understood what was happening. Um, It seemed like he was speaking in Aramaic. And so I assumed that they were reading um, a sugiah because then he said, do you want to learn different Masechet? And then he said something about Mesilat Yesharim. So I think it was just three different things going on. But but good that you picked up on that. any other thoughts, comments, counter-sermons? <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, you know, just kind of going back to where we started, and I, I had mentioned this to Rabbi Schatz, I've mentioned this in sermons over the years, but I think one of the reasons that many people don't appreciate religion, all religions, is that religion tries to establish limits for people. And people want to be free. We don't want people telling us what to do and what not to do. And... You know, but it's not only religion. We see, you know, Yafat telling Ruth what to do and telling Amir what to do and this and that and back and forth. And everybody's telling one another what to do. Um, but I, So I think religion in many ways is just a metaphor for everything else that we're going through. But um, I guess, has anybody here ever driven on the Autobahn? You have. Can you tell us what is different about the Autobahn than any other road? at least that I've ever been on. Well, I remember going very, very fast. And Why did you go so fast, Rebecca? What's that? There's no Why speed limit. So well, yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I, I remember going very, very fast. And I remember thinking, I'm not even sure how fast I'm going because if something was in kilometers versus miles and what's the conversion. And so I really didn't know, but I kind of stayed with the traffic and, it was um, just kind of smooth and steady, but just very, very fast, fast. There's no speed limit, correct? Right. I think that's probably right. I think that's what I've been told. I've never been on. Yeah. So, yeah. and, you know, 
I don't know. Look, I, I drive on roads all the time. The speed limit's 65, and you get these people going 100 past you. But at least you know the speed limit is 65, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you no, know, in, uh, I think it's Montana, or maybe it was Wyoming. I think it was Montana. They didn't have a speed limit for a long time. Yeah. And they said that you can drive as fast as reasonable and, and safe or whatever. And uh, people were driving at all kinds of different speeds and they started giving out tickets and they said, how can you possibly think that 100 miles an hour is safe? So anyway, the bottom line is now they have a speed limit of 80 miles an hour in Montana. Wow. Wow. But yeah, I mean, I I went with the flow. Right. Very fast. I'm just pointing out that, you know, we want freedom, but I think in the to a certain degree, we appreciate having some limits and that's what we teach you know look in my temple there might be less limits than in josh josh's show you know there there are certain things you have to do you know you have to sit on this side of the pizza you know you have to do this you have to do that and other places you know it's freer so uh you know and obviously we could go into masks and that's a whole nother thing you have to do this or you don't have to do this but um, but I think what we do have to do is we have to go probably and, and finish this discussion. So, Denise, is, is it a quick? Is it a quick something? No, I can. It can wait, or it does oh, no, not. Let's, it's let's fine. Give, go let's, ahead, Denise. Yeah, you can have a last. No, no, word. I don't. No, God, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can tell me. No, because I'll tell you why. No, I don't want to like. I didn't realize it was seven fifteen, and I don't want to like sit here and make people listen to an extra thought. So no, okay. it's all good. Tell okay. me, tell me tomorrow. I'll be excited to hear it. Save it for next uh, okay. time. It's only seven thirteen. That's true. It is only seven thirteen. Well, it's uh, actually ten thirteen. But you know, that's the more we the more we talk about it, the closer it'll become. Can I tell you just the one true. one very strange experience that I had flying back from Israel yesterday? So we're flying back. I had a one thirty in the afternoon flight, which actually worked out very well. Because um, we're going back in time, I watched four movies. But at a certain point, it was Wednesday the twenty eighth. You know, and I'm t- looking on my phone, and it's Wednesday the twenty eighth. And I'm wondering, is the iPhone going to actually go backwards in time when I land <laughs> in New York and you know open up? And that's in fact it did. So I felt a little like Michael J. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for a, a, a really uh, interesting conversation. And um, and next week, I think we're back to normal. Episode ten next next week with Josh Pernick, if all goes well and he catches all of the many planes. And um, just one episode, Rabbi, next week. I believe so. Just one episode. I, I don't really have anything else to add, but thank you, Rabbi Parnick, for being here with me. It's always a pleasure to teach with you. And Mazal Tov again on the wedding. And uh, I will see many of you tomorrow or over Shabbat. So have a great rest of your week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.